you are listening to A Night Dream. A Night Dream podcast. Well, uh, one day I would like to finish the two books I started. You are listening to A Night Dream. A Night Dream podcast. The first night dream is called Cannonball. Your greatest fear has always been that you will be hit by a cannonball from below you, and that instead of passing through you and killing you, it will carry you upwards into the sky. It will carry you higher and higher against your will, and you'll be unable to move, paralysed by the forces acting upon you. You whimper as you try to wriggle free from the cannonball, but it is travelling so quickly that all you can do is try to hold it as you move upwards. Every second you move higher and higher into the sky and you still can't let go. Each moment is agony as you feel yourself lifted higher than any skyscraper. Surely soon you'll pass out from a lack of oxygen, but you don't. Now, although you still can't move, you have acclimatized slightly to the awful movement, and now the fear truly begins. You dread the moment that the cannonball will cease to move you upwards the cartoonish moment in which it begins to slowly, eventually stop at its highest point. Your stomach lurches just thinking about the moment before you come crashing down to the ground. The empty space around you is as dense as your clenched teeth. Of course you felt paralysed and helpless, bullied upwards by the cannonball, but nothing is scarier than the downward pull of gravity. You were wrong to fear the cannonball, you pass beyond fear as you spend an equal amount of time moving down. There is nothing to grab or hold close to you as you fall towards the earth, which has become a gigantic reverse cannonball. Deep inside you, you know that you have always deserved this. The next night dream is called Souvenirs. You recently suffered what can only be described as a full-on nervous breakdown while on holiday in Italy. You visited a town that was destroyed and preserved by the eruption of a gigantic volcano, which in hindsight was a big mistake. Things started to go wrong when you argued with your partner about whether you should buy one large water bottle or two smaller ones before the tour started. It was very hot, so you were both quite nasty. After the tour, visitors were allowed to enter two long rooms filled with vases, the big plaque at the beginning said that the vases were dug from the ashes of Pompeii, which you found quite amazing because they were in really good condition. Not only that, but they were also just left in this room. You could smash them easily. No one could stop you, and then you could just walk away. You tell your partner, and they hate that you said this, because it's almost true of any gallery or museum space. Besides, they say, only some of the vases are real. Most of them are reproductions based on other finds. And you didn't see that, and you can't help but feel cheated. You looked at each vase, imagining it in the hands of someone soon to die, and you really felt for them. And in some ways, you feel like you know them. You quite quickly lose interest in the shed full of replica vases and go to eat. Even though you're in Italy, the museum canteen sandwiches are much like any other canteen sandwich, and you begin to doubt the authenticity of your surroundings. 
not in a funny way. You're hot and bothered, and you need to cool down, so you sit on the floor. Eventually the staff let you stand in the freezer, believing that you have mild heat stroke. It is hot, they say, and you are very pink. The freezer is full of ingredients that look like the ones you would have at home, but you can't read the labels, and some of the cans are huge catering ones, but they are full of the same tomatoes, just more of them. You are worried that your partner will bring this up next time you see your friends, and that in that moment you've ruined the entire holiday. Not really for them, but definitely for you. It will be hard to think about anything else. You buy a fridge magnet and try not to think about it. The next night dream is called A Life in 18th Century France. You are a farmer in 18th century France. Life is tough, and although you live in an area of astounding natural beauty, most of your time is spent stockpiling food for you and your animals. It snows all winter, and if you aren't able to store enough hay, your animals will starve, and then you will starve. You often daydream about your precarious position in life, and wish that things were just slightly easier. One day you're feeding the few pigs you keep to make sausages, and Rupert, the larger pig, bites the back of your leg. It is rare for pigs to bite humans, but as you always say to your partner, Rupert is mean-spirited. Unfortunately for him, his size and mean streak have marked him for death. You kill Rupert and process his large body. This way, you won't have to feed him throughout the winter. He's already large enough. You have a special room where you hang the sausages to dry, so you take the bits of Rupert there, pleased that in a month you'll have sausages. A month passes and your wound isn't healing well. Fortunately, you've completed most of the preparations for winter, so you take some of Rupert to your neighbour, Claude, for a drink. You tell him the story, which he finds very funny. He too has had a difficult, busy couple of months, and he offers to check on the bite, so you show him. He stops smiling and looks severe. This next night dream is called The Library. You are lost in a library and find yourself in the B section. In front of you on the shelf is an enormous encyclopedia titled Birds, and although you have a lot to do today, you flick through the introduction. It isn't very interesting. Of course the book is about birds. It is called Birds. This is already clear to you. Somehow you always slog through the introductions to books, a small but vocal part of you. Can't get over the feeling that the one introduction you skip will be the one that holds a special secret to the book that you would only find out from reading the introduction. That is not the case for the Encyclopedia of Birds. Still, this outcome is preferable to you than the introduction that acts as if you have already read the book and spoils it. Worse still, an introduction that tells you how quickly the book was written because the author owed somebody money, which could be true of the Encyclopedia of Birds, but is unspecified. You close the book and reopen it to a random page. It opens on the southern cassaway, considered to be the world's most dangerous bird. Close the book and try again. You're pleased you did, as this time the book opens on the European robin. You're appalled to discover that even the lovely robin is in fact noted for its highly aggressive behaviour, and given the chance would attack its own reflection in a mirror. 
You try again, and you open the encyclopedia up on a page about Barbary doves. You soon learn that the ones released at weddings and funerals are doomed to die because they lack the crucial homing instinct of other birds. That's enough for one day. You slide the book back onto the shelf. Maybe you are unlucky with the pages that you open. You can't help feeling troubled by the things you've learnt about birds. You do not like and have never liked swans. You think they carry themselves violently, and this violence stirs a familiar violence in you. Secretly, you imagine testing your own strength by trying to snap one of their muscular necks. Finished with the book, you push it back onto the shelf, realising that the thing you don't like about swans is that they remind you too much of snakes. You scan the shelf in front of you, but only see more books about birds. This night dream is called Huge Fish. You go on a last-minute trip on one of the last warm days of the year, and it's about a month before the leaves will start to fall from the trees, so the woods are flooded with colour. You walk around a small lake nestled in the centre of the woodland. At one end there's a heavy wooden bridge that cuts off the corner of the lake, and you stand in the middle of the bridge, looking into the shallow corner, The edge of the lake is covered by enormous leaves of a plant you will later find out is called Gunera manicata, or giant rhubarb, a name that you think detracts from the real thing. You stare into the shallow water until your eyes adjust and you can see underwater. Everything looks browner and covered in soft algae, which you find repulsive. Eventually, you turn to the other side of the bridge and look out onto the body of the lake. The lake itself is quite small, but definitely too large to be a pond, and after spending a while looking at the clouds reflected in the water, you spot a fish. It is so huge that for a moment you don't think that it is a fish. Your partner sees the fish too, and you are both amazed. It's the biggest fish you have ever seen in person. You take a picture of the fish, but it doesn't really do the fish's size justice. You lean on the bridge, watching the fish for a while before you move on. It's a beautiful day, so you walk around the wooded paths enjoying the sun. You really enjoy the day, and eventually your walk back to the car takes you over the bridge again. You joke to your partner about how great it would be to see the fish again, although you don't expect to. The fish is there, and you're elated at the chance to record it on your phone, longer this time, and you feel joyful. You are living in the moment, which you often struggle to do, and now you have the fish on video. Eventually, the fish swims away, which you think is a fitting way for your moment to end. It's not until you're driving home that you begin to feel sad for the passing of the day. The fish has nestled against your other, longer thoughts. It's very hard for you to think about big occasions in life, and this is definitely the biggest fish you have ever seen, and you are unlikely to see a larger fish alive in the flesh for some time. Now you're thinking about things that can't happen or will definitely happen. It is the exact same feeling as the exact feeling of jealousy you have for actors and directors who have worked together on sets for years and created something lasting that you can enjoy but never be a part of. It is the same feeling that makes you sad that plants must die with the seasons and that you will never have a brother. Every time something is the first time in your life, it shocks you. This moment feels close to a recent visit to your mum's house where she showed you a picture of your grandparents, 
It's the only picture in which you've seen them young and they're dressed as cowboys for a fancy dress party. You were spoilt by your grandmother, but it happened before you learnt to speak and it makes you angry to think that you'll never meet them. This is the anger that comes with things that are unfair and unchangeable that make you want to cry. The fish is one of those two, but a smaller one. At least you have a video of the fish and you can drive back to the lake. You won't, though, and in time the event will be overshadowed by something larger. Your grandmother got to see you walk, and you got to see the fish, which made its way to the bridge to be fed. After a long mental block, you think that it's fine to be troubled by troubling things, but not fine to dwell on them. The forest with the lake is a beautiful place that reflected onto you at the time. As the lake shines in the sun, and as you get older, it seems that things that are apparently endless aren't.